Can you hear me? So uh, this evening, as uh, I was sitting uh, and feeling the uh, big breath of the whole room and the uh, breath of the world, uh, tears started to come out and didn't stop the whole time. And uh, this is what it's like, you know, sometimes. Um, I'm not sad. I'm not suffering. But, and yet, there is, um, you know, there are tears. There are tears uh, from how things are, from how the world is. And uh, it's possible to sit in the midst of tears, completely uh, joyous and completely free. And this is the great mystery that we explore when we start sitting. So I don't know what you've been doing, uh, lately, I hear that you've been studying concentration, so chances are that I don't have anything to um, teach you and that we can all go home. <laughs> so um, I brought something, and um, you know, we could do that. But also, I'm interested in uh, how many people here attended Gill's series on concentration. So quite a few. And uh, how many people in the room uh, have ever experienced distraction? (laughs) (laughs) And how many people in the room um, would enjoy uh, talking about concentration? in a practical way. Okay. So uh, I'm wondering if, uh, first of all, if you have any questions, if anybody who is at the series or who wasn't at the series has any questions from your practice about concentration. Concentration is a little bit, it's not exactly the same thing as insight. It's more like the bedrock on which the um, insight palace can be built, or uh, more like the, um, the uh, empty field that uh, one lets go of to um, join with the Buddhist teachings and experience insight. So uh, do you have any, um, any questions? And then for the benefit of the people who aren't here who are listening to this tape, maybe I'll repeat them uh, so that... Um, the ex- and for the people in the back who can't hear, maybe I'll repeat them so that this can be a little bit coherent. Any, any questions that arise when you think about concentration, when you think about distraction... Um, and does anything come up 
Um, I'm, I'm talking more from your own experience than some intellectual um, idea of concentration. You don't have to raise hands, just... Mm-hmm. So concentration and effort, concentration and gripping or letting go, holding on or letting go. Okay. Anything else arises? When you find yourself not concentrating, is there something you can try to mentally do an exercise on to shift about? So uh, a prescription for non-concentration? Getting back to business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. comes up for me a lot is who is concentrating. Who's concentrating? It's sort of a quasi-similar thing that she was saying. There's an eye that concentrates, but then there's that lets lets go, but there's still a need to concentrate. Okay. So so there's a little bit of um, confusion about um, who concentrates and um, when um, when someone is concentrating and when there's a concentration object or subject and uh, is is that the territory or is it more like the effort itself of concentration? Well, it's just it's not really a big confusion, but it's it's you know there, there's and there's some higher entity that you know that stays sits in the posture and concentrate and watches and then but if that's part of a smaller identity that's being let go of mm-hmm. and then there's there's still something that needs to or wants to concentrate mm-hmm. that's, that's, so if you let go of self is, uh, if, if uh, there's a uh, there must be someone who concentrates for concentration to happen but then you're trying to let go of that someone so then what now what Okay, so I think that's three good questions to start with. Can anybody? Can everybody find something in in those questions, or is there some uh, some piece that uh, I need to include? Uh, yeah. I sometimes find concentration painful. Concentration to be painful. Painful in what way? Is it a, a grip, a, a ripping, tearing sensation, or more like psychological or emotional, or? Psychological and emotional. Emotional. Not wanting to be there. Not wanting to be there. Uh, There goes an honest woman. (laughs) Okay, so let's start with some of these, um, some of these um, answers. And really, you know, uh, please don't take my answers as answers. Okay, they're not answers. And because of that, I can I can speak. But um, these are not answers which come from some, you know, wise person who's been practicing for a long time who you should listen to. They're more uh, something that comes from me to you that you can um, test out and see if it's true for you or if it's not. So... um,
when uh, when we first start to practice, we might do it for any one of a number of reasons. But I think that um, we all share a deep motivation to wake up in a way that benefits beings. And uh, I think that without such a motivation, it's almost impossible to go through the pain of um, sitting. You know, some people do sit for health. Some people sit because they have high blood pressure and would like to get it lower. And some people sit to have a little bit of tranquility in the midst of a busy life or a painful life. And some people sit, um, some people sit, they don't know exactly why. But I think that when we sit here, moment after moment, hour after hour, day after day, year after year, um, somebody comes who responds to what comes up. And that person, um, I think that if we probed deeply enough um, in the uh, experience of each person here, we would find a motivation that's deeper. Like, why do you want to um, lower your blood pressure? Well, it's because I'm a type A. Well, so what's wrong with that? Well, um, I, um, uh, I'm painful to be around. Well, what's wrong with that? I have loved ones. Um, I, I need to find out about my life um, uh, and uh, wake up. I, I, I would like to be able to enjoy life and appreciate life as it is. So we're starting to get to that motivation. Deep down inside, everybody wants to be happy and doesn't want to be unhappy. And concentration relates to that. So when we sit down, when we first sit down, um, it seems like we're far away from concentration. Many, many things happen and maybe um, the checkbook rears its ugly head or you know, what you should have said at work, that sort of thing. And many people start by, um, okay, I'm going to concentrate now. I will concentrate. I will concentrate. Okay? And some other people, it's more like, I will concentrate. (laughs) Concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. (laughs) Concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. And uh, other people are more like, or you know, all kinds of things happen. There's a, a, a mental tone to each person, and a kind of physical and physiological tone to each person. And that tone is generally pretty habitual. As a matter of fact, all of us are completely equipped with everything that we need to wake up. 
but because of our um, automatic functioning, we don't realize it on the spot. And Buddha said this. This is not original with, um, you know, Shosan, Victoria, Austin. The Buddha said this. And it's true. So um, when we first sit down, it's as if the physical stream, which most of us split off into physical and a mental stream, which is actually the same stream, the stream of our experience, the uh, stream of the collected experience of our whole life, plus our current motivation, that stream is flowing. And it's like a big, powerful stream. And when, um, usually in life, we don't notice this stream. All we know is that we have high blood pressure or agitation or uh, that we're getting on people's nerves and that kind of thing. And we're lucky if we even know that much, really, honestly. Because most of us don't know very much about our lives until something happens like a car accident or a loved one dying or a war or something like that. And then then we start looking. But uh, let's say everybody in this room has sat down. Well, what we've done is we've sat in the middle of that moving stream. So the whole thing suddenly seems much worse, actually, after the honeymoon. Because what happens is that that whole stream, we're trying to be stable, and that whole stream is flowing, still continuing to flow. So immediately we feel the texture of the stream and all of our unfinished work for this whole life. So if the checkbook isn't balanced, we, we, um, it's uh, checkbook, 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 checkbook. Okay. It's June, let's see, it's June 3rd. I have till the 5th to pay the rent, the rent, the rent, the rent, the rent. Or, um, or else what comes up is, um, you know, I have unfinished business with so-and-so. They um, hurt me. They abused me. They did this. They did that. It's just, um, or, you know, wouldn't it be just wonderful if, if this were the right person? You know, and it just goes on, and it, and it seems to be more when we first sit down. So then many people do what we would do uh, in any apparently uncontrollable situation. Uh, either we push it away, or we grip very tightly. So um, either we um, reject that experience and... Um, you know, try in, in favor of something else, like, uh, isn't the sound of the birds wonderful? Or we grip very tightly, so we, we get into over-effort or under-effort. So actual concentration um, is very simple. It's simple, but not easy. All it requires is that we pick a suitable subject of concentration, that we take care of our good, good care of ourselves, uh, and with that uh, object of concentration, just neither um, hold it to grip it too tightly, 
nor let it go too much. So it's simple. It just doesn't happen to be easy. And the the kicker is that if we do it um, in a dualistic way, like if I'm here and the object is out there, um, that already um, that already is a kind of a pushing away. That is a, a basic um, recreation of um, ignorance, like the turning away from how things are that we do moment after moment in, uh, out of our habits. Shamatha concentration is very, very simple. Okay, the, first, the first activity of concentration is just to be in one's own body. And, um, you know, there's many um, conditions. I wrote some of them down. So uh, people are often... Um, people often think of the conditions of... Um, the conditions for concentration. And um, traditionally, it's that uh, where you know you stay in an agreeable place that's free from wild animals, and that the place itself doesn't harm you, and you're in the company of like-minded friends, and that it should be easy to get what you need to do your practice, and um, that um, that you uh, don't have very many desires, and that you practice satisfaction, that you don't do too many other things besides trying to concentrate during the time you're trying to concentrate, and that you've taken care of your life in a certain way, then all you have to do is abandon thoughts. <laughs> so um, these are often thought of as necessary prerequisites to concentration. But, um, you know, and it sounds really complicated. I mean, the only place that you could concentrate is really in the middle of a forest under a tree. If, um, and not even many forests. I mean, the middle of the Jetavana Grove would be about the only place you could concentrate because these are very um, hard-to-find conditions in our life, aren't they? I mean, an agreeable place. Um, how many people's uh, place where you meditate is agreeable all the time? I want to see hands. Okay, so two. <laughs> okay, well, how many, how many uh, agreeable me? Let's get specific about this. Of those two people, um, <laughs> how many, uh, how many of, it's your place free of every sort of threat, both internal and external? No. Okay, so we're down to one. <laughs> Who's that one? No, no tigers or anything like that. No tigers, but how about... Um, uh, how about um, other sorts of threats, like modern sorts of threats, like that we might be entering World War III this week? <laughs> I guess you're free of it. Not, not a threat. Okay. Okay. Um, well, does the place itself um, uh, is the place itself completely wholesome? The water is it safe? Um, uh, are there any illnesses there? You know, uh, that's that's another condition. And um, 
in that place, do you have like-minded friends who also uh, want to practice concentration with you? No. Okay. So um, it's it is an agreeable place, but it doesn't have one of these articles. So maybe the only place in the world one could concentrate, if these conditions were necessary, would be some idealistic, idealized monastery, someplace where one would have to be completely free of everything except concentration. And we don't, there's not many people in this room who have those conditions. I don't. But uh, the good news is, um, you know, I don't think that's necessary. So you're, you're merely incredibly wonderful place um, is, is probably okay. <laughs> or even a, uh, just a simply very good place. Or even just an okay place. Or as, as a matter of fact, even a bad place is a good place to concentrate if you're willing to wake up. <laughs> so um, what's really necessary to concentrate isn't any of these conditions but that um, one be willing to let go of unwholesome conceptions and neutral ones that generate the fight-and-flight response. And that's it. Unwholesome unwholesome conceptions are... um, I'm going to throw away these notes because they're not going to help. But unwholesome conceptions is just gross um, suffering. What are we supposed to concentrate on? Okay, let's suppose... Object, subject. Subject of meditation. So let's say um, in Zen, that's, uh, you know, it's formless. It's formless. So I'm not... It's a good thing we're in a Vipassana room right now. But in Vipassana, you get, what is it, 32 objects? You get a lot of objects. And some of them are things like the four immeasurables, friendliness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, or, um, you know, a blue disc, just something that's very simple and objective, or posture and breathing, or um, body, including the body's impermanence, like, uh, or uh, not-self, or... Um, the difference between um, wholesome and ill, or basically anything you've heard about in the teaching is a good subject for meditation. But there's some that uh, allow you to actually experience deeper states of concentration. And some of the best, the very best, the, the, the primo and most helpful subjects of meditation are the uh, Brahma-viharas. Uh, they're actually called the uh, great abidings. Those are really terrific meditation subjects. So if you're at a loss for a meditation subject, why don't you start with friendliness? May I be well. May I be happy. May I be free from suffering and the sources of suffering. May all beings be well and happy, free from suffering and the sources of suffering. That's a good default subject. 
And another one, if you're, if you're, um, that's a good um, compassion subject or good, um, good connection kind of subject. But suppose you, you know, you just can't concentrate and you can't be present. A very good subject is just one's own body, one's own posture and breathing right in the present moment. So in Zazen, Suzuki Roshi said, just to sit with perfect attention on posture and breathing and great pure effort is Zazen. Zazen is dhyana, concentration, seated uh, meditation. Zazen is actually the union of shamatha and vipassana, the union of concentration and insight. Actually, vipassana is the union of shamatha and vipassana too. And, and so it's, you, know, you can't really be thoroughly, um, um, have thorough insight in, into a subject unless you're deeply concentrated. But uh, concentration is painful because, um, first of all, because there's, uh, our bodies aren't stick figures. It's hard to make them go into this posture and stay there for a long time because we settle. You know, we have joints that ache if we keep them still. Uh, we have uh, hunger that arises if we don't feed ourselves. And, you know, we, uh, and uh, more often than not, as soon as we sit down, we have to go to the bathroom or sneeze. So just on a very basic level, meditation is somewhat painful because um, we're, we're choosing to um, sit down in the face of all these inclinations choosing to sit down in the middle of that stream. But even more than that, if we choose concentration practice, we're choosing to turn around in the stream and face the flow, the onrush of uh, karmic consciousness, which is basically of the nature of non-concentration at first. seems to be anyway. And we're facing all these things like desire, aversion, lust, shame, ill will, torpor, distraction, doubt, all these things. Or even if we're completely settled and stable, we face subtle pride in meditation practice. (laughs) You know? So um, who wants to see that? let alone renounce it. Because it is a practice of renunciation. Okay, doubt, I'll sit with you. And if I sit with you long enough, you'll be my teacher. You know? So that's renouncing doubt. Doubt is not doubt. Doubt is a teacher. But not the kind of teacher that you have to follow and do what the doubt does. You know, it's the kind of teacher that you have to um, sit with and be stable with so that you can see what doubt really is. So uh, walking up the stream of karmic consciousness to the source of the stream, uh, the stream becomes narrower after a while, the landscape of meditation. 
as we settle with our upstream walking. Um, I'm going to renounce gross doubt. Okay, well, is this really a good practice? <laughs> That's subtle doubt. You know? Or, um, I wonder if 40 minutes has passed. <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> I don't know when I started, and I don't know when I'm supposed to stop. <laughs> I was supposed to stop at 9 o'clock. Okay, so actually I should shut up now and you could ask some more questions, particularly the people who asked questions before. I mean, has this answered some of those questions or given you something to uh, study, to, to, to sit with, just in a simple way? Ah. Look, if you were writing that book, Meditation for Dummies, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. But meditation. Okay. Okay. Meditation for dummies on monkey mind. Okay. It has three headings: sit down, shut up, sit still. <laughs> okay. Sit down means. Uh, Sit down means, that's the, actually the hardest one, right? Sit down means have a time when you sit. doesn't matter uh, whether it's monkey mind or not monkey mind or sickness or health or anything else. You sit down. It can be physiological time. After I brush my teeth, I sit down. That's the hardest thing, actually, believe it or not. So even if you just commit to five minutes a day at the right time, you probably sit much more than that already. But no matter what. Um, so that's the question. So sit down. Shut up means don't add. Shut up means... Um, uh, Suzuki Roshi had a wonderful, um, wonderful thing about thoughts. He said, um, uh, acknowledge the thoughts... You know, answer the door, but don't invite them in for tea. <laughs> so uh, sometimes if, uh, if my mind is really active um, and I'm not exactly seeing the suchness of, my, of the active mind, not exactly there, um, what, I, what I might do is I might really focus uh, on the earth elements of my posture, Okay, and um, the stability of posture, and uh, that's actually very quieting. So shutting up doesn't just mean shut up, you. It means um, it means more like understand what what activities are quieting, and this has to do with nourishment rather than with forced quiet. Sometimes we try to stop thinking. Thinking, stopping thinking doesn't stop the thinking. Uh, thinking is a secretion, like sweat. You know, so um, to make the sweat smell sweet, you can't just say, "Sweat, would you stop stinking?" 
you know, you have to actually eat things that um, are sweet when you digest them. And you have to do a certain amount of exercise. Then the sweat smells sweet. The same with thoughts. For the thoughts to be malleable, you have to nourish your body, nourish your intention, and nourish your consciousness. So nourishing the body means that there aren't things kind of poking at you that you haven't tended in your own body. So you've eaten a moderate amount, you've slept a moderate amount, um, or you're willing to go with the amount that you've actually slept. And uh, nourishing the intention means you know your intention and are willing to return to it. Just simply return to it again and again. When you notice you're off it, just return. Nourishing the consciousness means that, um, that uh, when the intention is nourished over and over in a stable and comfortable body, with stable and comfortable breath, the consciousness ripens. And that's nourishing the consciousness. So meditation, um, fortunately, it doesn't matter if you're a dummy or not a dummy. Um, If it mattered, I would have stopped long ago (laughs) because I'm not talented in this practice. So, um, but sit down, that's A, shut up, sit still. Still means, still means that um, one... um, takes care of everything completely. Um, still means, uh, ultimately, ultimately still uh, means that um, we are still. Life is still. What's moving? But um, in uh, regular life, still means that we don't have to move. So um, usually I say when people ask me about the pain level, well, how high does the pain level have to be before I move? And what I'm saying is um, let it be moderate. If it's more than moderate, go ahead and move. But then know that there's something that you needed to take care of. And so take care of that. And then maybe next time we don't have to move as soon. Anyway, um, a yoga teacher um, who, who helped me um, train once asked, if you stay in one posture long enough, what, what happens? And everybody in the class was saying things like, you get enlightened? <laughs> but no, I think if you sit in one posture long enough, and you're, if you're in one posture long enough, you get uncomfortable. <laughs> so take care of that. <laughs> So um, it's 8.53. I just have another few minutes for questions. Yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about the uncomfortable part. I, uh, I tend to be able to get concentrated very easily, you know, focusing on one thing. Mm-hmm. It's always sort of not a big
Well, what it did was it it um, increased um, it it changed what it changes one's set point in a way. It's like um, you know, there's some people who become intensive addicts or retreat addicts, and they can't get concentrated in everyday life because the stimulation of the pain it's so strong. It gives you such a strong um, uh, thread to follow upstream. That's such a strong sense of direction. Pain does. So it make it, pain. If you're if you're in pain, you're actually lucky. Uh, in a certain way, because um, it it gives a very strong sense of direction in the practice. Um, it gives a very strong. Um, if if you can learn how to breathe into the painful part and so on, uh, that in itself will uh, give give you concentration. Or um, in an injury or in a crisis, um, uh, one of the side effects of adrenaline is that you feel concentrated. But when the adrenaline stops, you feel exhausted and scattered. So um, now you have a... a you know, it's like you're deconditioned for a uh, tiny little uh, concentration subject. So uh, that's your challenge. You have to know what you're um, aiming at, what your intention is. So maybe you have to say, my intention is to sit here and follow my breath. And maybe you're a beginner. But it won't, it won't take too long. Uh, to find your concentration again because you never really lost it because we can't lose it. Um, you know. That's not the problem. The problem is that I didn't lose the concentration. Right. But how about now? Focus on the discomfort and not go anywhere else which is very useful. Well, it is... Uh, it, it was there. There was no ignoring the fact that the pain was there. That's right. But it is useful. It's useful as a taste of the kind of concentration that's actually available in your own body and mind. That kind of concentration, um, if you can um, widen that concentration, you could actually widen it to encompass all beings. You know, you could actually develop that concentration on... Um, on your breath. All you have to do is let go of the concentration a little bit and in the light of that concentration begin to review some of the teachings in your own body and mind. So the concentration is useful. 
It's like um, all you have to do is bring Boy Scout mind to that concentration. It's, it's, it's useful. It's like um, the Buddha himself let go of his concentration. Did you know that? He had the same problem. Um, he was a very accomplished yogi, and he, uh, he uh, entered extremely deeply uh, concentrated states, which were very rarefied. But then he said, well, what am I doing? You know, I have been spending all this time concentrating, but I haven't actually studied what I came to the concentration practice to study, which was, um, what is the problem of human existence? What's suffering? And how does it start and how does it end? So he actually had to pull back from his concentration and let himself be subtly disturbed by human suffering, subtly discursive. He had to pull back from those, those more rarefied states of concentration. And that's what you have to do. Uh, it is 8.59, so you... Is there a difference between focus and concentration? There is a difference between focus and concentration. Uh, you used Yeah. But in everyday life, there isn't. In everyday life, we focus. But, you know, when we focus, if we just think of concentration as ordinary focus, then we'll tend to grip too hard. So, um, gee, barely scratched the surface. I brought this wonderful sutra, which is a Sandhi Nirmochana sutra. May I go uh, another three minutes? Is that okay? Because uh, this is a Mahayana sutra, so chances are you've never read it unless you... Um, <laughs> unless you snack on other forms of Buddhism. <laughs> and uh, this is wonderful. Um, this is a, a book of questions. This, this is one of the core texts of the Yogacara school, which is the mind-only school, conscious, mere consciousness. And um, I can't tell you all the things there are to tell you about it, but basically it was a, it was um, kind of a, a, a reaction to the um, Abhidharmists. This, this school was somewhat of a reaction to the Abhidharmists in that um, there were um, people were starting to uh, rely on subtle, subtle concepts of the world in, uh, in the Abhidharma tr- uh, tradition. And this... Um, this was a meditation-oriented uh, teaching that was meant to um, meant to um, uh, solve some of those problems. And uh, it has a wonderful chapter on the yoga of uh, shamatha and vipassana, which is supposedly questions of Maitreya Bodhisattva. And... Um, So I can read a little bit as a bedtime story. (laughs) 
Then the Bodhisattva Maitreya asked the Bhagavan, Bhagavan, abiding in what and depending upon what do Bodhisattvas in the great vehicle cultivate shamatha and vipassana? The Bhagavan replied, Maitreya, abiding in and depending upon an unwavering resolution to expound doctrinal teachings and to become unsurpassably, perfectly enlightened, bodhisattvas cultivate cultivate shamatha and vipassana. Bhagavan, abiding in and depending upon objects of observation of shamatha and vipassana, how do bodhisattvas seek shamatha and become skilled in vipassana? Maitreya, I have set forth these twelve forms of doctrinal teachings to bodhisattvas, sutras, discourses, prophetic discourses, verses, purposeful statements, specific teachings, narratives, historical discourses, stories of the Buddha's former lives, extensive discourses, discourses on miraculous phenomena, and discourses that delineate topics of specific knowledge. Um, And bodhisattvas hear well and apprehend well or study well and uh, analyze well with their minds and through insight fully realize all these teachings. So basically all the teachings that there are, that's our job to study, or at least a little piece of them. So um, then this paragraph is your bedtime story, okay? Then, remaining in seclusion, having genuinely settled their minds inwardly, they mentally attend to those doctrines just as they have contemplated them. With continuous inner attention, They mentally attend to that mind which is mentally contemplated by any mind. I'll say that sentence again. With continuous inner attention, they mentally attend to that mind which is mentally contemplated by any mind. (laughs) Ha 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 ha, it's after nine (laughs) o'clock. No, I want to (laughs) know. Um, that mind which is mentally contemplated by any mind is, um, is the ground mind. It means... Hmm? What's that? It's the mind that doesn't... doesn't um, it's the mind that every single experience holds in common. It's the streamness of the stream. You know, it's it's um, um, I'm not going to be able to describe it for you. I'm way too dumb. <laughs> okay, but um, it's the um, moment after moment, experience arises and falls away. Right? Okay? Moment after moment, things arise and fall away. 
but experience itself, um, the um, ability to experience itself. Um, all those moments have something in common. And it's that that, uh, that this, this sutra is talking about, what those moments all have in common. Uh, that's that's what we need to find out. That's that's the subject of shamatha. Okay, so the streamness of the stream, but that doesn't describe it really. That's a stupid description. Um, so the physical and mental pliancy that arises through engaging in this practice, in this way, and continuing in this practice is what we call shamatha. And uh, so shamatha means that no matter what happens, there's a continuity. There's an apparent continuity. And that continual flow, um, that feeling of continual flow, uh, the pliancy that comes from attending to the variations in the flow is called shamatha. It means that the body becomes very wide and very deep. Um, like a wide and deep stream that can hold anything in it. So it mean, all it means is that your body gets stable and comfortable. Your mind gets stable and comfortable so that you can meditate no matter what's happening. That's all it means. But how do we do that? You know, so that's the question. So this sutra talks about doing that by attending to the uh, very most basic part of experience that's common to every experience. Okay. So we're not going to be able to get our minds around that by thinking about it. The only way to do it is by sitting there and with perfect attention to posture and breathing begin to observe what's common to every experience. But if you separate yourself from it, you won't be able to see it. The only way is to completely unify body and mind. So um, in that unity, the body becomes like a wide, um, it becomes big and can hold any experience. And that quality is called concentration. So I have to stop because it's 9.08. It's your bedtime. (laughs) So thank you very much. And um, we just touched on these. May, May our effort benefit all beings. Thank you.